Fantastic. Uh, do keep that open. Um, we're going to start off in chapter 23. So you want to turn back there, um, and then we'll go back to chapter 16. So more, more of our time there. Now let me pray just again and ask for God's help. Father, we're looking at the, one of the most, if not the most important day in the Jewish calendar this morning. And as we see the importance for, for, for Jewish people, yet more would we see the importance and significance for us. Please show us Jesus again and his saving work, we pray. Amen. Every week, almost every moment of every week, we're bombarded with the news that you're not good enough. Try harder. Let me show you what I mean. Your bosses at work, they say, look, you're not doing your job well enough. Work harder. Might be said a bit more subtly than that. That's what's said. Your school says, you're not knowing enough. You're not learning enough. Study harder. It's so clear in advertising, isn't it, that the gym says you're not thin enough or you're not big enough. Try and work harder. The luxury brands say you're a failure if you don't have this. Do more, get more money so you can buy it. Your family says you're not achieving enough. Do more, double your efforts. And it is relentless and it is draining for us. It is deflating and dispiriting. And then when you come to church, or at least when you come to church that teaches the Bible, you again hear you're not good enough. You're not good enough for God. God is holy. That is, he's apart, set apart from us. He is morally perfect. And you, every single human being, are sinful. You're not good enough for him. You're thinking, not here as well. I hear it here as well. But here is the vital difference. The solution is not try harder, do better, do more, be better. That is not the solution to this. The liberating thing is that it's not, it is true that you are not good enough for God, but Jesus is. And Jesus has done everything necessary in order to make us fit for his presence. That's the liberating thing that we hear from the Bible. And as I say that, I don't know if you, you kind of feel the burden lift. You're not good enough for God, but, but no one is. But yet God calls us into relationship with him now and for all eternity on the basis of Jesus' work, not yours. That's what we're looking at on the Day of Atonement. If you're new today or you're new joining us, uh, we're, we are looking at the seven annual festivals that God gave his people. And we're up to number six. And uh, we're doing well. And the Day of Atonement that we're looking at today is about three things. God's presence, sinful people, and atonement. Okay, God's presence, sinful people, atonement. And if we understand those three things, then we can understand how it is that we can enjoy a relationship with a holy God for all eternity. 
So let's start off in Leviticus chapter 23, as God commands this, this yearly festival. And you can see the screen or on your sheets, and this is a yearly reminder that atonement is needed. A yearly reminder that atonement is needed. Uh, this, uh, this feast, this festival, fell on the 10th day of the seventh month. Seventh month. So um, remember the, when we saw last week, the Feast of Trumpets come on the first day of the seventh month. Ten days later, here's the Day of Atonement. And the people are to do four things on this day. Have a look down at verse 27. Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Here are the four things. It shall be for you a, ty- a time of holy convocation. That word again, gathering. It should be a time to gather together. There's number one. And you shall afflict yourselves. That's number two. Um, almost certainly meaning fasting. I.e., So don't, don't eat for the, this 24, 25 hours. Fasting. So gather together, fast. Uh, carries on verse 27. And present a food offering to the Lord. So here's a, an offering that their people to make, giving thanks to God. And finally, verse 28, and you shall not do any work on that very day. They are to rest. The people to gather, fast, make a food offering, and rest. Why? Verse 28 finishes, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord. Now, atonement, well, what does atonement mean? Well, it's one of the things, actually, which... Uh, and when we get to chapter, 20, uh, chapter 16, it's going to be illustrated for us really clearly. And actually, we're going to, so we're going to kind of see it more clearly unpacked then. But let me give you a definition for now, a working definition that we can then bring to life as we uh, see it in action. Atonement is the, pu- the payment for and the puri- purification from sin. So atonement is the payment for and the purification from sin bringing reconciliation with God. All right, there's our working definition, if you work with that for now, and then we'll see it brought to life when we see the Day of Atonement in action. Pure, payment for purification from sin, resulting in reconciliation. And it's important because Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, perhaps more than any other book of the Bible, stresses and highlights and demonstrates God's holiness. Again, as I said before, his, his otherness, his pure moral purity and perfection. And a holy God cannot bear the presence of sin, which is why atonement is needed. And because this festival was all about God's holiness, sin, sacrifice, it, it was actually the most solemn of these seven festivals. It was the only one that had fasting, for example. So the, the people were to, to not eat for that, those 24 hours. It was a very serious one. We saw last week that the Feast of Trumpets had this 10-day period called the Days of Awe, when they were to examine themselves, see their sin and repent of it, in preparation for the Day of Atonement. It was this yearly reminder that atonement was needed Chapter 23 describes what the people to do, every single one of you. So if you're back then, you, you, all of us, what we'd have to do, we'd have to gather, we'd have to fast, we'd have to make our food offering, and we would rest from our work. But it doesn't, chapter 23 doesn't tell us how atonement was made. It just tells us what we would have done. 
which is just think about it. For that, we need to come back to chapter 16. So now we're going to spend uh, almost all the rest of our time in chapter 16, um, so you can lose your place in 23. And as Eve read, she's read verse 6 to 10, which actually work as a really nice summary of the events of the day. Um, We're going to kind of base ourselves there, but we will flick around through the rest of the chapter as well. The chapter is full of very detailed instructions about how atonement was made. Now, when you read the chapter, and I would encourage you to read the chapter later, and we'll glance through bits of it today, when we read it, it's very easy to kind of look at it and kind of shake our heads and say, what a palaver that was. I'm so glad I didn't have to live back then. But it was pointed out to me this week that nowhere that they or I could see in the Old Testament do the people complain about the, the rituals they had to go through. For them, it was a huge privilege because those rituals were worth going through in order to have God's presence with them. God's presence with them was worth doing anything, really. Because at that time, in Leviticus 16, the people were on their way to the promised land, and God had chosen to dwell with them in the tabernacle. Now, here is, I think, a modern-day kind of construction of, of roughly what it would have looked like. Um, again, the people are traveling, so it's all tense, it's all temporary. Um, although what we see is true of the tabernacle was later true of the temple um, when they had it fixed place. But it was the tabernacle, and God had chosen to dwell there. And it was the greatest of privileges for the people to have God dwell with them. But atonement was needed. Because, you remember those those three things we we, we thought about at the beginning? God's presence, a holy God's presence, and sinful people don't go together. And so atonement is needed. And you can see on the the sheets, uh, as we work through chapter 16, atonement was needed in these three areas. Firstly, for the high priests. As um, it was worked through, sorry, could you go to the next slide? Thank you. You see, before the high priest could make atonement for anyone else, they first had to do it for themselves. So have a look at verse 2, chapter 16, verse 2. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat inside the veil, before the... Sorry, let me start that one again. Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the clouds over the mercy seat. Uh, There we go, so back on track. So so sorry, for the priest. Um, And then my remote's going all over the place. Sorry, can I have the first picture after that come up as well, please? So inside the, the tabernacle, uh, there was, there we go, so inside that, that tent, in the back end of it was the, what's called the Ark of the Covenant. It was called that because inside the box down the bottom uh, were the tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on. And sat on top of that was what's called the mercy seat, which you had those angels with their wings outstretched touching. And Aaron could not come into it any time he felt like. Now, Aaron actually knew better than most how dangerous it could be for sinful people to come into the presence of a holy God. 
Because just look at, see how the chapter starts. Look back at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. Aaron's two sons, a few chapters ago, didn't pay any attention to, to God's instructions as to what they were to do in God's presence. They decided to do their own thing, and they were struck down. They died before the Lord. Aaron knew how serious this was. He'd learned it in the most painful of ways. So even Aaron, the high priest, needed to make atonement for himself. And so, verse 6, we're looking at our summary. Verse 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Verse 11 to 14, they describe it in more detail. Let me just summarize it for you. But he was to kill the bull as a sin offering. The bull was to die in his place. See, the penalty for sin was to be paid, but by the animal, not him. And then he placed incense on some burning coals, and he put that into the holy place by where the Ark of the Covenant was, so that he couldn't look upon the mercy seats and therefore die. But then he was to take the blood of the bull that he killed and, and, and dab it on uh, the, uh, the, the ark and then to sprinkle on it seven times uh, the blood. And so Aaron made atonement for his sins. Now later, once the tabernacle became the, te- uh, the temple in Jewish life, once they'd settled, tradition had it that the high priests would tie a rope around themselves as they went in to perform this duty in case they got it wrong and they died so that they could be pulled out. See, twice in verse 2 and verse 13, these instructions are so that Aaron would, does not die. God's presence, sinful people, results in death unless there is atonement. Unless there is atonement. So first off, there was atonement for the high priest, and then there was atonement for the holy sanctuary. You see, the people's sins resulted in this ceremonial corruption of the tent, and if God was going to dwell there with his people, well, atonement needed to be made. The, 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 the tabernacle needed to be cleansed. And so this next sacrifice, it was for the people, but yet the the sacrifice was sprinkled through the tabernacle. So have a look at verse 7, the the summary. And he, Aaron, shall take two goats and set them before the Lord at the centre of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. So two goats kind of casting lots, one for the Lord, one for Azazel. We'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, But the one for the Lord, he was to take, and he was to kill it. And again, this is described in verses 15 to 19. But one of these goats was killed, and Aaron would take, would go back into the holy place and sprinkle the blood again. Just have a look at verse 16, see how it's described. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And then do you see uh, how he goes on? And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. 
So Aaron would start off here on, on the, um, the Ark of the Covenant, sprinkle the blood there, and then he would kind of work his way out um, back towards the altar that was outside the tents. And there the blood would be put on the horns on the, the corners, and then again the blood would be sprinkled seven times. And then finally, verse 19 uh, sorry, there you go. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from uncleanness of the people of Israel. Because of the uncleanness, the transgressions of the people of Israel, sanct- um, the sanctuary needed atonement. It needed to be cleansed. It needed to be made fit for God's purpose. Presence, sorry. And then finally, the people... Oh, that slide, please. Finally, the people. So although this is very much carrying on from the last points, but again, now we come to the, the two goats again. So the first goat we've just seen was killed. We've seen that. The blood was sprinkled. But let's see the second one, verse 10. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Now, no one's quite sure what Azazel, or Azazel, I don't even know how to say it. No one's quite sure what that means. Um, It could have been a place. Some people think it was a place in the wilderness, in the desert, where it had been sent out to. Some people uh, think it might have been a a demon, although I think that's less likely. Traditionally, in English, it's been translated as scapegoat. And that is at least certainly a good description of its job. Scapegoats. We know scapegoats as an entirely negative thing, don't we? You know, the person in the company that takes the blame, even though it's not their fault. The the fool guy, the scapegoats. Well, that's what this goat was. It took the blame. Let's see that. Verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. Did you see how he's, he's layered up there the threefold repetition of, of sins? So you get the iniquities, the transgressions, the sins. It's the picture of Aaron the priest is, is confessing all of the wrongdoing, all of the sin of all the people. He's confessing it over this goat with his hands there. And he goes on, uh, middle of verse 21, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. You see here, the scapegoat is an entirely positive thing, for the people anyway. The priest placed his hands, confessed it, and the sins, as it were, were transferred from the people onto the goat. And then the goat carried those sins away into the wilderness. Now, some people describe it as a wonderful visual aid. And it is a wonderful visual aid of what was happening. It's this picture of the goats kind of going from here to there and then going off. But it's more than a visual aid, more than simply a visual aid. There is, in a sense, the fact that the sins were transferred from the people onto this goat and were carried away. They were removed from 
the people. Now chapters 1 to 7 of Leviticus talk about numerous sacrifices and offerings that the people were to make. And the sin offerings there were always were for the individual, you or I, the sacrifices that we could have done back then. This one's different. The Day of Atonement is about the people together. This is all of the people's sins for a whole year being dealt with. Atonement made. The penalty was paid as one goat died. And purification was made as the other goat carried those sins away. Whole nation for the whole of the year. And then see again how what God describes to be happening back at the, the end of the chapter as a summary, verse 30. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Skipping down to verse 33. He, that's Aaron, shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you. The atonement may be made, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. God's presence, sinful people, results in death. And the Day of Atonement is a yearly reminder for, the, for God's people back then of, of how this atonement was made. Not only they needed it, but how it was made as well. Once again, can I remind you, as we have all along, that these things are not just a matter of interest for us, Actually, they lead us to Jesus, and we see how he uh, brought these things to fulfillment. So, in fact, here um, in the book of Hebrews, um, so I'm just going to turn to it because my phone's not working. Um, here in the book of Hebrews, we, we see again that uh, these uh, Old Testament things are the shadow, whereas the reality, the substance is found in Jesus. So here the writer to Hebrews says, for since the law, and these, these um, festivals are part of the law, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. You see, these festivals are like the, 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 the outline of the drawing, and Jesus is the colouring in, the reality. And it's not just the fact that Jesus' sacrifices replaced these, but it's that Jesus is so much greater, so much better. You see, us, we too today, need atonement. God is not changed. He is still this holy, righteous, pure God who can't tolerate or bear the presence of sin. And we are not good enough. But as I said at the beginning, it's not about trying harder. It's about recognizing what Jesus has already done. He has made atonements. And he's done it better than any of those days of atonement that the people celebrated. 
See, Jesus himself, he was described, he's described in Hebrews as the great high priest. And unlike Aaron and all of the other high priests that followed after him, he didn't have to make purification for himself. He is the only one who is blameless, completely and utterly blameless before the Lord's. Whereas on the Day of Atonement, the priest offered the life and blood of, of animals, Jesus offered his own life and blood. As we finish, could you please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9? That's page 1209. 1209. Because it's in the book of Hebrews where, perhaps clearer than anywhere else in the New Testament, we see how Jesus fulfills the Day of Atonement and indeed these other sacrifices. So Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 23. I'm going to start there. And see how Jesus fulfills the Day of Atonement so perfectly. Hebrews 9, verse 23. says, Thus it was necessary for... Uh, the, for the, sorry, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So it's saying that the, the, the tabernacle was a copy of the heavenly reality. And the copy down here needed to be um, purified with those rites. So the heavenly things too. So verse 24, for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. So every year the priest entered with blood, but not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who, eagerly, who are eagerly waiting for him. So we see how Jesus fulfills this even better. Not the, the, the copy, but in the reality. And not repeatedly, but once for all. Not with the blood of animals, but with his blood, own blood. He paid for those sins and he bore them, taking them away. Again, the world bombards us. You're not good enough. Try harder. Be better. Do more. The Bible says you're not good enough. We cannot be good enough for God's presence. But the answer is not do more. You can't. We don't need to. Because Jesus has done everything. He has made atonement perfectly. And how freeing and liberating that is. Many sense of having to try and work our way there into to a relationship with God, or by any other sense that we have to try and keep ourselves there. No, Jesus has done that atoning work perfectly. 
paying the full penalty for sins, purifying us from those sins by carrying them away, bringing reconciliation, relationship with God. And he has done it so much better, so much better. You know, sometimes I think when we're confessing our sins before God, it makes us feel more guilty, not less. Whereas it shouldn't. When we confess our sins, next time you do that, think of it this way, and we're going to do this in a moment as we do it together, but when you're confessing your sins, think about this picture of Aaron with his hands over the goat. Yes, we are guilty, but yes, those sins have been dealt with perfectly, not by goats, but by the Lord Jesus. And we have such confidence to enter his presence now. What strikes you as you read Leviticus, isn't it? The seriousness and the, 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 the depth of the rituals that they had to go through in order to come into God's presence. But yet by Jesus, we can come into God's presence confidently. A story is told of a, um, a hunter in the Canadian frontier way back when. Uh, and he came across a frozen lake and needed to cross to the other side. But not being familiar with this part of the world at this time, he didn't know how thick the ice was and whether it could take his weight. And so he kind of went out on all fours, inching his way slowly across. It's pretty sensible, right? But he's inching his way slowly across. And as he got about halfway, he turned around and heard a noise coming from behind him. And out of the kind of trees burst um, horse and ca- uh, with carriage that just went vroom, straight over the ice and out the other side. Now, I think it illustrates to some degree the difference, the confidence that we now have in the Lord Jesus to enter God's presence. God's people back then so careful. Don't get it wrong, you'll be struck dead. Now, we do it seriously, but we do it confidently because the Lord Jesus has brought perfect atonements. As Mark said, we're going to, we, we held the confession back from the beginning, so I wanted to, to do it now. And as we confess our sins together, again, in your mind's eye, perhaps be thinking of that picture, the laying on of hands on the goats. As it were, as we confess our sins, we are laying our hands on the Lord Jesus, the one who bore those sins himself to deal with the penalty and to purify us from them as he took them away. So let's just spend 30 seconds or so, personal reflection, thinking about the ways this week where we have wronged God, where we see that we are not fit for his presence. Let's take a moment. And so as the the words are on the screen, we pray together. Let us confess our sins to God. Almighty God, 
we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed. By what we have done and by what we have failed to do, we have not loved you with all our hearts. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We are truly sorry and ashamed and repent of all our sins. Have mercy on us, cleanse us from our sins and forgive us all that is past. Lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light. Amen. May God, our Heavenly Father, who has promised to forgive all who sincerely turn away from sin and turn to him, forgive us our sins and strengthen us for his service through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.